This is an ABC podcast. We have produced this podcast on Awabakal land and we've spoken to people living and working on Aboriginal land across Australia. We pay our respects to the Elders, past and present. Hi, I'm Kurt Fernley, Paralympian and proud person with a disability. And I'm Sarah Shands, mum of a Melbourne Demon superfan with a disability. Go the bees! Come on, she's too young to make those big life decisions. I'm with her. Go the bees! Boo! <laughs> I travel a lot for my work and I love it when I come home. As I open the front door and my kids run up to me for that first cuddle, even something as simple as the smell of my own house makes me feel like I'm at home. And here, more than anywhere else, is where I feel at ease. But it hasn't always been like this. I've lived in some pretty inaccessible places. I've had to crawl through the front door And it's not because I wanted to live in these places. It's because houses are not built for people with a disability. So let's pull back the covers on housing and take a look at why young people are still living in aged care and how three small changes to how new homes are built could change how people with disabilities live in our community. I want to introduce you to an extraordinary woman. Her name is Pauline. She's stylish, vibrant, in her early 50s, and she lives in Melbourne. After an incident at home, she needed to go to hospital. But once she had recovered and was ready to get back to her life, she found herself in an unimaginable position. Living in a nursing home. You've got to age when they want to want you to age. There's said times breakfast, lunch, dinner. You know, they want to ask you questions. If you mention the toilet, if you've done this. You know, you're not free to do what you want. To really, really be honest, I felt like I was in jail. Nursing homes are built for older people. Someone over the age of 65 who can't safely live at home anymore. They were never meant for young people with disability because living in a nursing home takes away your right to choose who you live with or where you live and what you do with your day. When it comes to housing, there are three key issues for people with a disability. Writer and activist Elle Gibbs has had to deal with inaccessible housing for most of her adult life and knows them well. So there's affordability, there's availability, and there's accessibility. So they're the three components that make housing for disabled people different than housing for other people. So more disabled people live in poverty, so that's why affordability is such a big deal. Um, Accessibility, there is a real gap in terms of accessible housing. And then there is that availability of the kind of very particular kinds of housing that people, particularly with complicated and high support needs, need. Which is why Pauline languished in aged care for six years, because there were no other housing options for her. Well, when your family visits, they're not just visiting you. They're visiting all the residents. 
because all the residents just like to listen on what you're talking about. So there's no um, privacy. Pauline's story has a happy ending. An NDIS coordinator came into her team and told her she didn't have to live like this, that she could have her own place under the Specialist Disability Accommodation Program. Young people, if you're all listening, get out because you will go backward and you will, sorry to say, you will die in there and it's no place for a young person. I've seen so much. In the past, people like Pauline would have likely lived in institutions. Now we've moved away from this policy, thank God. But what we haven't done is create affordable homes that people with a disability can live in, in the places that they want to live. And the United Nations Convention on the Rights of People with a Disability states that all people with a disability should have the opportunity to choose their residence and where and with whom they live on an equal basis with others and not be obliged to live in a particular living arrangement. Australia ratified this convention in July 2008. I've buried myself in this issue and no matter how hard I look at it, we are not meeting our obligations. Tim Norton works for the Summer Foundation an organisation at the forefront of keeping young people out of nursing homes. My brother was 20 when he acquired a brain injury and is now 40 and he has moved in, a, in and out of nursing homes during that time. Um, I still, um, it, it, you can probably see in my face right now, I, I find it emotional going in there. They're, they're, they're not pleasant places, I don't think, for anybody, let alone um, somebody that's 40 years old or 30 years old or 20 years old or 50 years old. And according to the Younger People in Residential Aged Care Strategies annual report from 2021, there are 3,899 people under the age of 65 living in aged care and 100 under the age of 45. And on the NDIS's own budget, they said they'd have 30,000 people getting specialist disability accommodation and they'd be spending $700 million a year on it. But the reality is only just over half that number of people get specialist disability accommodation at a cost of $203 million. And not all young people, someone under the age of 65, who are living in the aged care facility are on the NDIS. And each year, more young people are finding that the only place they can go is into aged care. In 2021, 712 young people entered aged care, and that's better than the 1,250 in 2020. But is this really good enough? And I think we need to mention here that the federal government released an ambitious plan in 2020 to get all young people out of aged care by 2025. In fact, page three of this report states, no people under the age of 65 entering residential aged care by 2022. So it's not like this issue hasn't got the attention it deserves. The government is clearly aware of it. So something else must be going on. From the outside, it feels like there's processes and there's bureaucracy and there's systems and they all get in the way of ultimately getting people the 
accommodation that they need. So every time we have discussions with, with various groups around this issue, they all say the same thing, that it's taking people months and sometimes years to get these packages, uh, to get this funding into their packages. Um, and the problem with that is that those people are then stuck in hospital beds or they end up in nursing homes because they've got nowhere else to go to. Bronwyn Morecambe is the director of Young People in Nursing Homes National Alliance, and she's identified another challenge when it comes to the types of homes available. So at the moment we have um, apartment living where you might have 10 people living salt and pepper throughout an apartment development, or you might have supported um, living. They don't suit everybody, and we need some bespoke options for people to move to, um, I'm thinking particularly of people with um, multiple disabilities, mental health disabilities, physical disabilities, who need very particular types of service responses if they're to move safely and with confidence to the community. That's the sort of development we need to have happening in terms of housing that we're not seeing at the moment. Housing is so fundamental to a person's well-being, And while there is this critical issue of young people wasting away in nursing homes. Every single day, people with disabilities are struggling to find affordable, accessible housing in places that they want to live. The first accessible house I lived in was the one I bought, Elle Gibbs again. At the moment, we are breaching that right to live in the community, you know, because we are not providing the kinds of different models of housing that disabled people want to live in. What is the consequence for people with disability living in an inaccessible, unaffordable house? Associate Professor Ilan Wissel is a lecturer in urban geography at the University of Melbourne and has looked at this question and found it's living in fear. Uh, You fear your own home because uh, there's always a risk of injury. If you have to get up the stairs, if you have to get in and out of the bathroom, people do get injured. Most of our participants Uh, experience some form of injury uh, during their life uh, in their home. And and then it's not just those injuries and their impact, but also that fear of injury becomes a very significant part of your everyday and that affects your mental health. People spoke about, and again, another fear of getting stuck at home if there was ever to be a fire or some flooding or some kind of natural disaster. They, they can't get out if it's inaccessible. If there's just a, a step uh, outside of their home, some people won't be able to leave it. So that obviously creates a fear that people have to live with and affects their mental health. What is it that needs to change? Margaret Ward trained as an architect and spent the past 30 years pushing for universal design. What the usual rhetoric about people with disability is, is disability housing. But that assumes you're a turtle, that it's you. are born, you get your shell and you stay in that house for the rest of your life and you walk around with it. But we're not, we're possums. We fling from tree to tree and we have love affairs and parties and bronco games to watch and we move around. And as Australians, we actually move every six years on average. Uh, So um, we have to think about what it means for people with disability that one can't afford their home, but secondly, can't move even if they do find a place because their next place 
will be inaccessible. So that very important element about housing is not only that you live in it, but you visit, you party, you have affairs, you, you go to dinner, go to Christmas dinner, um, you visit your neighbour, you might babysit. They're all the things that people with disability want to do, just like everyone else. So every home should be accessible. The idea of every new home being accessible is mind-blowing. Do you know how many times I've missed out on a party or been stuck outside because I can't get up the stairs? Your place, Shans. Uh, work drinks at your place. And I couldn't use the dunny because I couldn't get upstairs. Mm, yeah, I know. Uh, and as an able bod, it's not really something I have to think much about. Um, is that why you haven't been back? Firstly, it's non-disabled. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, can I say yes? But Margaret Ward has been working towards changing how all new homes are built. So I don't have to think about it either. Her advocacy has shaped changes to the National Construction Code to create a minimum access standard for all new homes built. The... Housing industry has always supported a national construction code. What they don't like is change. So they actually don't like any change to the code because change costs. These actual features aren't more costly in a house. The change to do things differently costs. So it's a short-term cost, not a long-term cost. So they'll get over it. And in fact, they say to me, we'll push back until it comes in and then we'll get on with it. So it's late August 2022. And after decades of campaigning from advocates just like Margaret, housing ministers are getting on with it. Mick Brenny is the Public Works Minister in Queensland and reckons these changes are well overdue. For the first time, we're going to have mandated construction code rules that apply nationally uh, that deliver silver level livable housing design guidelines for all new homes and apartments constructed from October 2023. So any new home built from October 2023 will need at least one step-free entry into the home, increased width of internal walkways and doorways, and a toilet on that entry level. So on a practical level, what will this mean for homes in 2050? By 2050, around 50% of all houses will have been built post this decision. Uh, and so it won't mean every house is accessible, but it will mean a, a substantially greater uh, number of homes, much greater choice uh, for renters as well. Uh, and the costs will come down over time. Whilst we think the cost is around 1%, of a new home build, that will likely reduce as these become simply the norm. To get to this point has been an enormous fight. Letters have been written, emails sent, phone calls made, there's been meetings, countless campaigns. But finally advocates are on the cusp of a win. But all of this, it comes at a cost. We've been advocating on this since 2001 and it's deeply wounding for people, deeply wounding. But any change is 
you know, that's the cost of advocacy. Well, I'll talk from a personal level. Um, my daughter lived, we always had an accessible home because she used a chair all her life. Um, but she knew no one in the street. She would even try to visit and she would go to the front door and call out. It was painful, it was so sad. And one day she came back to me and she said, why are there steps, Mum? And I didn't have an answer. That because what she was actually saying to me was, why do these neighbours not want me to visit? horrible. So, yeah, she sat on my shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I have no answer. I had no answer. But she, and she had already understood that her school didn't want her. Her, she couldn't get off the train except for two stops. Um, she couldn't get into half the shops in her shopping centre. She was strong. She was wounded, but she was strong. And we did everything to overcome those barriers as we could um, and not set her up to fail. Her church was inaccessible, so I asked them to build a ramp but they wouldn't. It's, a, it's tough. I'm not telling you anything, Kurt. And uh, it's a life work for me. What's kept you fighting for the 20 years? Oh, I've got good at it. <laughs> you know what? We win stuff. And we win. There are three parts to making this work. There's housing, there's support, and then there's the service systems around the person that have got to come together to ensure they are cared for in community. But you know what accessible homes will solve? Me going to a mate's place to watch the footy. The next generation that today can't get into their mate's place after school to hang out will be able to do this without a second thought about how to get through the front door. Up next on Let Us In. Can you do accessible and beautiful? Yes. You can do accessible and sexy as well. Can I just say that? <laughs> I don't think that is said enough. <laughs> and I do. It's true. You can. I, I'm on board. <laughs> I do think these lifts are very sexy and beautiful. That's up next on Let Us In. If you like what you've heard, subscribe on the ABC Listen app for more episodes and feel free to share this podcast far and wide. This podcast has been produced with the support of the Melbourne Disability Institute and the University of Melbourne. The executive producer is Sarah Shands of Point Five Productions. Fact-checking by Lisa Herbert. Big thanks to Blythe Moore, Phil Ashley-Brown, Simon Scoble and Nicole Bond. Sound engineer is Clint Topic from Sawtooth Studios. 
and all-round ideas guy is Grant Walton.